and welcome to Boys of the 90s Podcast. My name is Nathan. And I'm Bob. And today, Bob, we are back and uh, we're celebrating a brand new year. As I say, new year, new us, but not really. <laughs> Just want to thank you know those who are still following and downloaded us since our first episode back in July. Since then, we've purchased a domain for future website usage and um, we'll continue to release shows between our hectic schedules. But for today, um, personally, you know, I'm a sucker for lists, and we discussed the movies of 1990 back in August, and today we're continuing that trend and talking about the music of 1990, so I don't feel I'm speaking out of turn when I'm saying that both of us could probably talk about music all day long. It's been, you know, as important to me to, you know, just keep talking about things that we love, so that's why we're bringing back the music talk here in 2023. And again, this is on a United States perspective. So even though we have love for our Belgian listeners, shout out to you. We're 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 huge in Brussels. <laughs> yes, uh, we are the muscles in Brussels. And um, yeah, we just wanted to uh, give a perspective of where we came from, what we were interested in watching back in the day, as far as you know, if it was a special that was on, say like the Grammys related to music. We just were huge into music, so. You know, as, as far as when we started off in 1990, I mean, we were 9 and 10. Do you remember what kind of music you were primarily listening to? What was I jamming in 1990? <sighs> Boy. Um, Nate prepared this very well-done document of the most of the popular music of 1990. So when I was flipping through it, I noticed a couple things that jumped out. And one of them would be the... So... We touched on this very, 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 very briefly <clears throat> previously that one of my favorite songs of all time is Talk Dirty to Me by Poison. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be relevant in about two seconds. So nice. my my one of my big memories from, from music of 1990 is I was super, super into Poison and the Flesh and Blood album. But, I mean, I was nine. So let's just say I was super into Unskinny Bop. And something to believe in because you got to have the the racy, suggestive rock song, and then you got to follow that up with your power ballad. Right. And something to believe in wasn't that that typical power ballad. It wasn't really like a love song. It actually had some poignant thoughts to it, and the video was was kind of touching. It you know, Brett Michaels talks about a friend that died, and then the homeless Vietnam vet, which is kind of close to home for me. Not that I know a home, a homeless vet, but my, my dad was a Vietnam vet. So there's a lot of that. Um, but yeah, poison was poison was big for me in, in 1990 and <laughs> the flesh and blood tape. And I just, Oh my God, I just had the most random memory. So the, the first two tapes I ever bought with my own money to, to jam on my little crappy boombox radio was the Lost Boy soundtrack mm. and Flesh and Blood by Poison. And I don't know why I felt I had to convince my mom that it was okay that I, I buy a Poison album. I don't think she cared. <laughs> uh, was that I saw some news blur probably on MTV News because I'm realizing the more I talk to you, the more I talk to Michelle, my wife, who's Let's see, you're 42, I'm 41, she's 40. I watched a lot of TV, and I watched a lot of MTV when no one else around me was watching a lot of MTV. Mm -hmm. So I, I remember these random things. I remember, like, 
if you bought flesh and blood poison sent a portion of a donation of the album sales to the troops hmm. over in Iraq. And I was like, yeah, see I'm buying on skitty bop and it goes to a good cause. <laughs> right. So thank me for my service. Um, nice. Yeah. I don't know. God, that was random. I don't know. I, I probably haven't thought about that since I bought the stupid tape and, you know, in typical kid fashion, I listened to on skinny bop and I listen to something to believe in, and I don't know any of the songs off the rest of the album. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean you gotta re- rewind and play again, rewind and play again. <laughs> yeah, like you rewind. It's like we were talking about that MC Hammer album, and you're like, oh, it's Police Story. It's on this tape, on that tape, and I'm like, wait, I had that tape. I don't know that song. Yeah. That's because yeah. I would listen to You Can't Touch This, and then I would go to Pray. Don't ask me why, and then I would just rewind. <laughs> And that would be yeah. it. That's what I'd listen to. This is before right. I before I learned about deep cuts. Oh yeah. Well, some of some of the things. I mean, the reason why I love cassettes is, and I'm sure people liked vinyl for the same reason, is that you had to leave it on in order to get to like that nest that that song after the one that you didn't really care about. So you would kind of listen to that one you didn't really care about just because you know you don't want to miss the beginning of your favorite song so that is true because it's one of the reasons why i still like listening to records is not only is it interactive but it it retains the music listening experience where you buy an album it's not just this song like this one good song that put on a radio with 12 filler songs it's like no you sit and you listen to the entire album right yeah um I mean, we touched upon, and you just brought up MC Hammer. I mean, back in 90, uh, that was one of my first major choices was, you know, between MC Hammer or Vanilla Ice, which came out in the same year. And, you know, even though I wanted to listen to the funky, what was his? Play That Funky. He did a cover of Play That Funky Music, White Boy. Yeah, Play That Funky Music, White Boy. I had him backwards. Because that was, I I also had, you know, Cool as Ice, the tape. I would listen to Ice Ice Baby. Then I'd flip it go over to play that funky music white boy rinse and repeat <laughs> and that that's what made some of those walkmans pretty cool because you could just flip it over to side b real quick listen to whatever you know song that you ended up on and you're like oh okay what is this song and then you just flip it right over because you, you remember that you want to re-listen to your favorite song once you got into that the uh, intelligent tape players that knew when the songs ended oh yeah i remember my uh my grandma's Toyota, which was the first car I ever rode in that had a CD player, the Toyota Cressida. And for you gearheads that might be listening and laughing, that Toyota Cressida had the same six-cylinder motor as the Toyota Supra. It just didn't have two turbos strapped to it. There's my car talk for this episode. <laughs> I'm a real expert. What is that, a six-barrel holly cop? You betcha. Anyway, so not only was it the first car that had the CD player that Eventually, when I inherited that car and the CD player didn't work anymore, I'd use the tape player. And the tape player had that in, I don't, I mean, I don't know if it's intelligent, but it knew when the song ended. Hmm. So, like, I remember in high school, Nate mailed me out because by this time I had moved to Colorado. Nate mailed me out a copy of Mechanical Animals. And I'd want to, like, skip. I don't know, Rock is Dead or something. And I just hit fast forward, then it would stop and it would start playing the next song. I'm like, that's really cool. This is before the days of Shuffle and iPods and all that fun stuff. Yeah, weren't, um, what was the, uh, 
the technology after the VCR, it was like the, the hard drive that you would record things on. Oh, TiVo? Yeah, sort yeah, of TiVo. like T- yeah, TiVo or they call it something else that was like le- it was not branded after that. DVR. Yeah, DVR. So yeah. like it was supposed to it was supposed to cut out the commercials because like you just hit the commercial button or something like right. that, and it's supposed to it's supposed to see like the broadcasting code or whatever pop up whenever the program comes back on. But it's it's probably based around the same technology. But that's yeah, that's cool. Although if you if you notice when you're talking to people of a certain age and ilk, they never record something; they tape it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you you never DVR it; you just TiVo it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do it too because I have I have YouTube TV. Yeah. And it's like I'm like, oh, I'm going to tape this. It's like, well, I'm not really <laughs> taping it, but. <laughs> old habits die hard right all right i remember i just remember vcr plus being a huge thing yes it was it was okay but like it uh it would come on right at the 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 drop of a hat like a right at 11 o'clock or something like that but it would always cut off like the first couple mm-hmm. minutes because tv programs like to come on maybe a couple minutes before the actual hour yeah you couldn't it it wasn't ever just right <laughs> yeah, right you know, you almost had to like like remember that there was like an offset and just program your vcr like normal and yeah anyway <laughs> i always set mine for a minute before and a minute after but that's just me yeah yeah so i i was looking back and i i think we were talking before we started this uh we wanted to talk a bit a bit about where 1989 left us off at whenever 1990 rolled around and I, we mentioned that you, you talk about some huge years in music. There was 1989 that gave us just giant albums. And then 1990 was sort of like the valley where nothing really of substance was, I, I don't know. It, it was kind of, um, it was, it was lacking, let's say. Yeah. I was thinking about this because now that we're on the subject, I think it, what it is, it's like, a, okay, this is going to be a weird reference, but here we go. Go with me. We're going to go on a, a little adventure here. It's like in the beginning of Mary Poppins. Well, the people at home at Google, so they can... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So if right. you haven't seen Mary Poppins, Google it and you'll understand it. But it's like a Mary Poppins in the very beginning when Dick Van Dyke's out there and he's like, the wind's coming in. Something's about to happen. Can't put me finger on what lies in store. I feel what's to happen. All happened before. And 1990s, that year, in between, we were like, something's going to happen, right? There, There is a bit of a, a tonal title shift that could possibly be coming because 89, huge. 90, dip. 91, monster. Yeah. I, I, I was going down a huge list of what album releases were coming out in 90 and it seemed like there were a lot of like fifth albums from bands coming out that year there were a lot of you know old old news old ideas they were just sort of like kicking around a little bit and it was almost looking for something a little bit more fresh we we kind of got some of those ideas in 90 like as far as they they loved everything new jack swing back in the 90s they loved hip house <laughs> you know they were kind of tired of the the synth pop of the 80s but they they would put it back in the background for some quick instrumentals and stuff so so you could put michael bolton in front of it <laughs> but but that but as far as like the technology i mean in in the production studios and stuff they pretty much 
you know, they were they were in safe territory for radio. It, it made for a lot of quick singles from singers and. I don't know. Bands were still pretty conventional. Like they had conventional instruments as far as guitar, you know, four piece kind of bands and stuff. They were not, you know, anything crazy. I mean, we did get a Guar uh, album out of 1990. <laughs> Send in your postcards today and you could win the chance to sacrifice your daughter to Guar. But I mean, other than Guar, I mean, we had some pretty conventional releases that made it on the radio. And that's primarily where I got my interests and everything from was from either the radio or you know maybe a little bit of vh1 because vh1 wasn't quite as salty as as mtv (laughs) Uh, i watched a lot of yeah i probably watched too much mtv but But to give you an idea i mean so 89 we had just just some of these that i would have picked up might have been faith no more is the real thing you had the cure disintegration which was huge pixies doolittle was huge just had that on the other day Disintegration? Mm-hmm. Or do a little. Music okay. for a rainy day, dude. Music nice. for a rainy day. I mean, Erotic City came out. Prince <laughs> dropped the, the Batman songs in 89. Of course, we talked about Nirvana and Soundgarden in our last episode with Bleach and then Louder Than Love, respectively. And the more industrial type of vein, because, I mean, now, to clear this up, 89 or 90 for Pretty Hate Machine? It's October of 89. 89, okay. Pretty Hate Machine is an 80s album. Yeah, it squeaked in as like an '80s album. It did. It did have a lot of '80s influence for the demos, definitely. But, oh. um, <laughs> but so we see a lot more of the you know industrial tinge kind of squeaking by with Skinny Puppy, Texture, and Ministries. Mind of a terrible thing to taste. I mean, they're starting to get a little bit more rocking and less simply keyboards. And Kim FDM, we have Love and Rockets that released one. The self-titled album. Yeah, yeah. That was their biggest. That was their biggest album too, because it had their biggest single ever, which was "So Alive." Oh yeah, definitely. We had Janet Jackson's "Rhythm Nation." I mean, I had I had to get that on cassette. I had that. Yeah, no, I had that tape because we are a part of a Rhythm Nation. <laughs> yeah. And then Madonna dropped Like a Prayer, which is just, I mean, you're talking about these monumental, you know, albums that were just dropped in 89. That's uh, Like a Prayer was, was shaking up the pop world like crazy. I mean, controversy back then was not saved. Remember, for... remember a certain student got in trouble for having that tape in her bag? Uh, I don't know. I don't know that one. <laughs> uh, Nicole. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, I remember that was a thing. Like, someone found she had the... Uh, Okay, again, for context, we went to a small Methodist school. So this isn't like you got busted down at the local elementary school. Yeah, someone found she had a copy of Like a Prayer in her bag. (laughs) And, I mean, you might as well have thought she came to school with like a pentagram. like Yeah, they brought out the gallows. Yeah, like a pentagram etched into her head, and she was saying, Hail Satan. Um, That's like how severe... It was towards the Madonna Like a Prayer album. Yeah, it's yeah. They they brought out the gallows for her. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then uh, we we played the absolute crap out of One Hundred One. We did One Hundred One. But we, we, we I think we missed that era though. We we it took us about how long until we were kind of the Pesh Mode heads a little bit more. I, I mean, I okay. So I knew about the mode. From my older cousins, and I've mentioned them before, mm-hmm. they're kind of like my, my older sisters growing up. 
And I distinctly remember they got tickets to see the mode in Dodger Stadium or at Dodger Stadium in 1990 from my grandparents for Christmas um, because my grandmother could not pronounce it right. It was to piss mode. <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah. Uh, yeah go to see that to piss mode girls you know what she says <laughs> Cap- capri 120 in one hand bacardi and coke in the other uh, <laughs> <Dave Yane>. <laughs> <laughs> you even try saying the names uh, <laughs> so i knew the mode from them and then uh i would want to say junior year is when i really maybe started to explore a lot more of their material because i mean i knew violator which is the 1990 album. And it's mm, one of my lesser favorite mode albums, if you're asking me, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, junior, sophomore, junior high school um, started listening more of the mode and discovered like some great reward and black celebration. And then, yeah, the completest in me, you have to get everything. So went out and got one Oh one, which the album's really good. The movie is meh. Because mm-hmm. it focuses too much on the fans and not enough on like the concert. Yeah, but it does. It does. I mean, say what you want. Like seeing like Depeche Mode live is is a thing. Like it's all a lot of it's pre-programmed, um, mm-hmm. especially in that time. Not so much anymore, but in that time, a lot of it was pre-programmed. It's on those big reel-to-reel like tapes. Mm-hmm. So it's like, eh. But Black Celebration Live is is awesome. You know, and they start like the big bell sounds and everything. Uh, so yeah, and sophomore junior started getting more into into the into the depressed mode. Yeah, no, but that's I mean, just just having a like back and forth too, like the one on one followed by by Violator. I mean, it was definitely there were no no slouches in releasing things around this era. No, that was, I mean, really, that uh, the music for the masses, one hundred and one, violator, maybe a little bit in songs and faith and devotion. That was that was their powerhouse period, especially violator because you've got yeah, I mean, personal Jesus and enjoy the silence, uh, world in my eyes. Yep. Yeah, and don't forget Chris Isaac's Wicked Game. <laughs> I personally just uh, really like that song. I don't know. I, I put that on there. Yeah. So, so funny that comes up. So uh, what, three, three, four weeks ago. So my son plays drums and he's learning to play bass. Greeny metal heads out there. You'll appreciate this. So his, his bass hero is Cliff Burton mm-hmm. and he likes to play his bass and like lean over, like on his, put the foot on the amp. So he's got like that Cliff Burton, day on the green thing when he's playing for whom the bell tolls anyway he started playing he started learning drums first so we all pile in the car me and michelle and the three kids and we all pile in the car to go his, to his drum recital and he was playing back in black on the drum kit so one of the other kids that goes to this music school that he goes to this music after school thing of all things chooses wicked game by chris isaac and I'm like, dude, you're like six. What? Like, what is that? It's like, no, I want to fall in love. Yeah, and I can't remember if they were playing it on guitar. Uh, I'd have to ask Michelle, but anyway. So much in the drums, like in that song. Yeah, no, it's not a lot of drums. Um, 
so anyway, so this kid plays a snippet, right? Because they don't play the whole song. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, wicked game. So I, I throw it on on the way home, and I'm like, yeah, you know, this song is pretty good. Mm-hmm. I have in my mind, it was so wrapped into the video. Yeah. And it's like I didn't want to pay attention to the song because the video just I mean they played it and played it and played it and played it and played it. And it's like as a kid, I don't need to see you rolling around on the beach with and uh a lot of Christians. Yes, yes. I had to look it up the I had when I was listening yeah. to the song, I'm like, who was that chick he was rolling around with? And I had to look it up and yeah, Helena Christensen. Um totally. so like but as as far as the song goes, if you separate it from the video, and I mean it's a pretty good song and then you know, it's interesting what Chris Isaac did after that because he's like he's had some few acting gigs and whatnot. Yeah, I I didn't I I think I knew of one other song of his, but I mean, for a I, in my mind, he's sort of a a one hit wonder in my in my head. Yeah, mu- musically, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, around that time, I mean, it just was. It's just like anymore, like right now, I mean, like Charlie Puth or some like one of these other kids like out now, it's like if you heard one of his songs real, real quick and you'd be like, oh yeah, that guy, it's kind of like Chris Isaac was sort of that, that sort of figure back then. Like Ed Sheeran, there's something I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Like an Ed Sheeran (laughs) sort of like out of nowhere, um, single that doesn't sound like anything else, you know, um. Maybe that was like a wicked game kind of sound, but yeah, tons of covers. People love it, but yeah. So that's, I mean, where we're at starting off in, in 90 was with those kind of hits right there. I just had a ton of albums that released back in the day that I had to get to know kind of what the consensus was of some of these albums, because they were in my zeitgeist there were things that were being advertised on the radio or maybe I'd see snippets of it on TV. I remember back then they were still doing like music video specials, like black and white. Whenever uh, Michael Jackson put out black and white. Oh, that was huge. It was a big to do. It was on primetime TV, like on, on regular channels. It wasn't on MTV or VH1. So every once in a while I would be privy enough to see like an award show or various channels in my life. And that's where I got a lot of these weird patchwork kind of interests and stuff <laughs> that I've, I found. So side note, um, that's where I, yeah. Did you see the black and white video when it premiered and see the whole thing? Yeah. Like when he whole... went crazy when he went crazy at the end. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like anybody talks about that enough. Well, cause they, they deleted it off the, they said that this is the last time that anyone would ever watch this. They they would would air it in its entirety maybe a few times that year, and then afterwards they edited it down to just the video itself. Yeah, which was sort of a hodgepodge, like I don't know, fever dream of <laughs> <laughs> morphing and and you know. Yeah, so it had that sweet morphing technology in it. <laughs> yeah, we had we had to have the morphing technology at the end with the various characters showing up, and I mean. <sighs> Yeah, to go ahead and watch this, you know, pause this and put it on if you want to, because it's, it is definitely something to withhold. But, um, yeah, because I only remember seeing the full video. Oh, okay. It's on YouTube, kids. You can find it. The whole video. Oh, is it? Yeah. All cool. 11 minutes of it. Sweet. So I only remember I saw it the one time when it premiered, I saw the whole him breaking stuff and 
what have you. So, and then I never saw it again. So I was just wondering. Yeah. And then uh, the greatest thing was that in living color, which was like the notorious parody uh, show that it was back in the day, they, they had Tommy Davidson out there as Michael Jackson. Oh yeah. Like breaking, breaking stuff just for no reason. And Uh that's, that's that's that should be if anything like added on to the end of black and white <laughs> more than than michael jackson doing it yeah, that are morphing in from like a panther into it <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i know that video is so weird macaulay culkin's in it <laughs> totally but the reason i bring that up is because like that's it was interesting because uh regular tv channels like that i don't know what you would call them but they call them broadcasting broadcast like, tv the the network tv um they would have you know like cbs and abc and nbc usually it was abc which is kind of interesting because they were more like a family-oriented thing even though they were had they had music related stuff on a lot but i think cbs had the grammys and stuff on right like yeah notoriously yeah so yeah I mean, we loved our specials back in the day. Whenever, like, specials were actual specials. They weren't just, like, a block of an hour of, say, like, a comedian does something or whatever. They they still call those specials today, but really the specials back then were, like, an award show or a special sports event or whatever. My personal, and, my, my personal favorite, and mm-hmm. I'm sure we might touch on some of these, are the Disney specials from that era especially the ones they do in the parks. Oh yeah. Okay. Because who doesn't want to see, who doesn't want to see Tona Danza on the jungle cruise? <laughs> I do. No, I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're looking at Tony Maselli right here and I'm a double bubble. <laughs> uh huh. Or like <laughs> <laughs> for, for a fun one. I remember watching the opening of, uh, well, they called it Euro Disneyland at the time, Disneyland Paris. Yeah. And most of it's in French. And I'm like, and I was watching, I'm like, this is really neat. And, you know, most of it's in French. And then, then Der Hasselhoff comes on. <laughs> and I think, if I remember correctly, I think Don Johnson was hosting it. Oh, wow. Yes, Dakota Johnson's dad, for those of you that have seen, like, 50 shades of whatever. Nice. And she's in something else, too. But, yeah, Don Johnson. Um Crockett. No, wait, is he Tubbs? No, he's Crockett from Miami mm-hmm. Vice. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, what was that show he was on in the 90s in San Francisco? Nash Bridges. Yes, Nash, yeah. Nash, Br- Nash Bridges. Okay. But yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he was everywhere for some reason. <laughs> I, I liken him, who was the guy from Tim Cup we were talking about a couple of episodes back kevin costner yeah kevin costner I always likened tim to a like a kevin costner-esque type of actor he's like an every, every man type of guy so yeah i mean like some of the notable things i i noticed when going through the albums uh were some of my favorites in the 90s that well they ended up being in the 90s um later on and I'm, as my taste changed from you know 10 to say 14 or high school or whatever um, I got more into, you know, rock of various types. So, you know, once I got Nirvana that I understood more about, oh, they're connected with Sonic Youth and they're connected with um, some of the other releases out there. And like Mother Love Bone released Apple this year. You know, Soundgarden, like I said, had just released one. What was, didn't they release one in 90 as well? Or was that not until 91? Soundgarden? Yeah. That might have been 91. They might have taken a year off, but. Yeah. But yeah, and so 
you know, after we got our taste of, of Nine Inch Nails, like somehow, I, I don't know how I got a hold of, had like a hole first. Maybe it was like a Beavis and Butthead type of thing, like where they played something like that. I don't know if they were on Beavis and Butthead for a video. They were. Do you not remember Beavis and Butthead? Beavis and Butthead watch March of the Pigs. And at the end, he's like, thank you. We're in Irish Nails. Good night. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, I definitely remember that. <laughs> but I mean, I, as far as had like a hole, like I, I know that like down in it and had like a hole sort of entered in from somewhere. But I didn't I didn't necessarily really watch a lot of MTV right then. So I was kind of curious about like how I knew about Pretty Hate Machine. But do you remember um, Emmy uh, saying, you remember? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, blonde it, curly hair. Her her brother was really into Nine Inch Nails, <laughs> and like she <laughs> and her brother, and 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 out of nowhere, she was like like quoting it, and I'm like, wait a minute, what? Like you're totally like clean, you know? <laughs> you're cool. Like, but she had like this cool um, kind of background, I guess, with with Nine Inch Nails, and that was kind of odd. But yeah, during that year, I mean, you know, we had David Bowie released a compilation, Changes Bowie. We had Peter Murphy had just released Deep, so. He was sort of writing on those kind of cool points, as, as it were. But I, I wasn't even in touch with any of this stuff, you know, back in the day. I, I think I was just sort of listening to, like, adult contemporary, like, whatever was on. The Bolton. You know, <laughs> like B1, no. B100 or something. like it. Jeff and Jerry in the morning, everybody. Little Tommy's calling. $1,000 winner. <laughs> right. <laughs> It was just this, you know, the ho- the whatever was hokey back then that was like a mainstay or hold off from, you know, um, 80s synth pop and stuff. Like, I still love various 80s music, but it just was, that's all I really had access to at the time. And whenever all these other kind of bands were releasing stuff like, say, I don't know, La Sexa Sister. <laughs> no, no, that didn't come out. Uh, I'm thinking of... No, that's like 92. I'm, I'm thinking of um, Gene's Addiction, R- Ritual de Hello Habitual. Uh, Ritual de Habitual. Yeah. Um, whenever they released something like that, I mean, it just was not on my radar. So it took many years for me to understand like, oh, that's kind of really cool or you know you would find edgier stuff to kind of sink your teeth into rather than just the the radio tracks that i was privy to yeah i knew i knew jane's when that album came out because i mean i watched so much tv so i knew been caught stealing yeah and wondering what this was all about um but it was really random so an album that came out in 1989 that i believe i received christmas of 1990 on tape and this is, again, this is how much MTV I watch because who else would want this? Was I received the resurgent Aerosmith album Pump. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I remember that in your collection. Yeah, because that's what every nine-year-old wants. <laughs> you need to know what Janie would do with a gun. Janie's got a gun. And then, but really, <laughs> the, the song that sold me on it that I really wanted it for was, of course, Love in an Elevator. Again, <laughs> nice. I was nine. Uh, <laughs> and you you did like your accessories and your uh, your your gaudy bracelets, scarves and stuff. I mean, you were a fashionista back then. Yeah, you know, it, it takes a lot of money to look this cheap. Right. <laughs> Direct quote from Steven Tyler. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, definitely, yeah, that was an interesting time because I remember seeing him on the radar a lot for his work with Run DMC, of course, with... Uh... Well, 
I mean, that was in the eighties, and that's really what brought them back. Yeah, was yeah. They did. They, they did. It was, which was, which was odd. Which was odd because it's like. I don't know what made Run DMC really. I don't. I don't really know the lineup of that and like how they chose Aerosmith to be the rock band that that they collaborated with. But I think it was the style of how that song works because the way Steven Tyler sings the verses is kind of like how they rap. Okay, so they kind of like meshed a little bit. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Then you take that. It's like that. And it was real easy to scratch it. Like. Yeah. True. Yeah. And then. Well, and then like Run DMC is kind of like the Beastie Boys. It's like da 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 da. Yeah, their flow is pretty much almost identical every song. Uh huh. Right. So you could take that, but I mean, it was so. I mean, if you're talking Aerosmith, they go away for a while because Joe Perry and Steven Tyler couldn't keep their stuff together and had a few substance problems. Yeah. And then they come back with Run DMC. That kind of brings them back. And then they put out Pump, and then Pump starts that whole Aerosmith resurgence of like, you got like the get a grip, you know, living on the edge, amazing, crying, lying, dying, trying, all the Alicia Silverstone videos. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, fold, fold the breadcrumbs <laughs> throughout the Clueless uh, yeah. <laughs> movie and everything. Yeah. That's, that's funny. Well, yeah, and like, uh, I mean, there's a lot of. There's a lot more John Bon Jovi's and and like Rat and stuff back in the day that were were dropping here out in, in 1990. Blaze of Glory was was a huge one for for Bon Jovi. A little bit left of center, we have we have NXS that dropped X, which is a huge release. It was, I mean, it, it was a follow up to Kick, mm-hmm. and Kick was massive. Like, yeah. I mean, almost every single song on that album could have been a single, and then X, the follow up. Some good songs, but it couldn't quite match. It tried to copy that kick formula, but it couldn't match it. Yeah. So the the album, since we're just kind of cherry picking albums on here, yeah, the I one can. that caught my eye, and I would say probably, maybe, kind of, sort of, you know, IMHO, as the kids would say, <laughs> uh, the best album to come out of 1990. I mean, I hope. Uh, all right, one of the one of the better albums to come out of 1990. It was Empire. By Queen's Reich. Mm, okay. And so I knew of the Reich because I watched a lot of MTV. So I knew Silent Lucidity, which is a good track. It's you could put it in that power ballad category, but it's really not a power ballad. I mean maybe mm-hmm. it is, but it's not like a love song per se. I mean, if you listen to it really close, it's got a sample of Hellraiser 2 in it. You gotta listen really close. But the, the important part of why I wanted to talk about Empire, besides it's a great album, start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, it's awesome. Best I Can, Jet City Woman, Del, uh, Della Brown, great track. Mm-hmm. So it's a solid album through and through. Also, if you pick up any sort of remastered edition, it comes with their awesome cover of Scarborough Fair by Simon and Garfunkel. Which you've never heard, give yourself four minutes, it's pretty rad. But why I want to talk about this, and I was mentioning this to the wife as I was walking here to, in here to, to to record with you, and she asked me what we were going to talk about. And I said, oh, I see Queensryche on here. An important part about the Empire album is Empire is production and sound-wise the Black Album before Metallica made the Black Album. Mm-hmm. You would think, listening to it like Bob Rock, produce this album because they are they sound so alike but empire came out a full year before the black album 
And I just like to rally the flag around Empire because if you're any sort of music nerd or you care about production or sound or you like the way things sound, Empire is that perfectly mixed, perfectly produced album. Everything sounds fantastic. And you just like want to strap on headphones because you can hear all the cymbal work, all the guitars. It all sounds perfect. I mean, lyrically, it might not be your thing, or maybe you don't like metal. It's fine. But sound-wise, it's like the Black Album, right? And we've already mentioned this. I think most of the Black Album's crap. But sound-wise, it's like ear candy. It's very pleasing to the ear. And Empire is the same sort of thing, whether or not you like the band or not. If you just want to hear an album that's super well-produced, listen to Empire. Hmm. And rant. I think at the time I was getting honestly probably confused between them and Scorpions <laughs> because Ooh, big di- Ooh, big difference. Well, I didn't know much about like I mean I knew I knew of course Silent Lucidity. I think I've heard J- Jet City Woman somewhere else, but at the time you had the 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 major bands that sounded sort of like that were like the Cults, Queensrÿche, Scorpions. You know, you you put the singles one up against each other. They sort of have sort of melding sound a little bit. It wasn't quite <laughs> it wasn't quite a band like Megadeth where it had like some uh, front man going crazy or having his own you know blown out style. Right. But maybe I'm wrong because it's like if you if you listen to all of Empire, I'm sure you kind of catch up on his nuance. But no, I mean as a I, casual listener, I would kind of pick up on a few different people and be like, this is about the same. Yeah, what really, I mean, what, what really separates Queensryche, if you want to say separates, um, Jeff Tate has, an, has a great vocal range. Um, mm-hmm. He's got a really good voice. Uh, Chris DeGarmo, the guitar player, I mean, he's, he'll shred, but he also does some of the more rhythmy solos, kind of like, uh, like the solo from Nothing Else Matters, which is Hetfield and not Hammett. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, they're, you know, I won't, I won't say they're generic rock because... It's not totally generic. As far as as far as their hits and like what what radio you know gave them that they give them silent lucidity mainly. Yeah, if you're listening to the radio and you have like a back to back to back of let's say Firewoman by the Cult comes on sidebar, Sonic Temple is produced by Bob Rock. Bob Rock also produced the Black Album Conspiracy. <laughs> so, but yeah, if you had Firewoman come on and then you've got Jet City Woman and then. Okay, let's say Rocky Like a Hurricane comes on. Yeah, it's all kind of got that feel. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, you would really have to listen to, you'd have to listen to all of Empire. Just like you'd have to listen to all of Sonic Temple to not, to realize, okay, it's not all Firewoman. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of it is Firewoman, but um, it's not all Firewoman. And then as far as the Scorpions, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like the nice German. Uh... <clears throat> Yeah, that uh, like, produced by the Scorpions. <laughs> if if I'm in a room, if I'm in a locked room, and they say to get out of this room, you have to sit through a Scorpion song like ten times. <laughs> I'm gonna go with "Still Loving You" rather than say "Rock You Like a Hurricane." Maybe even "Big City Nights." I don't know. They covered some of an angel. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I'm sure Michael Shankar probably put a really awesome solo on it. <laughs> uh, I mean, as far as the the various rock that came out at, at that time, I mean, I'm looking up down the list that I have it in front of me. That's, I mean, you have uh, the Black Crows, you have uh, which is not quite rock. 
you know, Pixies, more college rock. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean the Black Crows aren't rock? I mean, it's the, like... The Black Crows are like a two-step-up bar band, yeah, not rock. Yeah, I mean, that's, I'm just, I'm just throwing out, like, I'm, I'm going down the list <clears throat> rather quickly. And they're not like, they're not like fun college bar band, like Hootie and the Bowfish, because uh-huh. Hootie and the Blowfish is totally a college bar band. The Black Crows are like that bar band you see it like, okay, this is going to be place specific, probably like Pounders. And if you're from Escondido or the greater area, you know what that place is. I just don't know a bar in your town, USA, that I can compare to it. But think of like a dive bar or maybe a biker bar, right? The Black Crows would play there. Right. Whereas Hootie and the Blowfish would play at like the bar down the street from like, Cal State San Marcos or like some uh, safe <laughs> right yeah some someplace safe the Black Crows are playing in that like seedy bar that like you know your weird uncle hangs out at something or you know sure it's, yeah it's like downtown in the bad part of town and you know you roll up and it you can hear shake your money maker or the hard to handle yeah but I mean I, like when when I'm thinking like rock as far as compared to I I guess Scorpions and Queens rock I'm looking at some of these other ones like ACDC for example released you know the Razor's Edge not not one of the you know I mean it had thunderstruck and money talks on it but it's not but it's and it stood out so as far as you know style wise I wouldn't put it in the same like no one really compares to ACDC back then I suppose like except for ACDC yeah. <laughs> and you, every album you, they've ever released you too can write a song entirely based off one one hammer on <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and like so there's a lot of like notable um I guess bands back then just like really staking their claim like Danzig released his um, like one of his you know uh solo things back then and, side note, um, side note, let's let's touch on that real quick. Yeah. Okay, I like Danzig. I like the Misfits a lot. Um, if there were no Misfits songs to play, I would never learn to play guitar and play it poorly. Mm. So there's a the thing I love about Danzig is everybody thinks, you know, it's the Misfits, it's Last Caress and Astro Zombies and you know, Mother Right. <laughs> Here's the great thing about Danzig. The guy has a great voice. And my favorite Danzig songs are the one where he like, you know, tosses that black lion's mane back and just croons. Mm-hmm. Right. And on Danzig too, there's a song called blood and tears. Mm-hmm. And it's got, it's got this like weird fifties crooner vibe to it. I mean, it's rocking. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. It's Danzig, but it's got, <laughs> but it's like a ballad. Yeah. And, and it's just, he's got that croon thing going on and I love it. It's like uh, on Danzig 3, which is not 1990, but on Danzig 3, there's a song called Sustinus, which is, again, he does the crooner thing, you know. And then in 2020, he did an entire song of, or out. Apparently, I'm getting too excited talking about Danzig. (laughs) He did an entire album of Elvis covers, Mm -hmm. which is fun because everyone calls him Elvis. Yeah. So check that out. Yeah, it's definitely worth a check out, but I mean, you'll never see another singer that loves his own voice as you, as you say Danzig loves his own voice. You'll never see anybody that loves himself as much as Danzig loves himself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he'll, I love the song Killer Wolf, but I've never known the word wolf to have at least 17 syllables either. <laughs> 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 
because he's the whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> That's some just really interesting releases that came out in 90 that, I mean, I I didn't really realize, I suppose, back then. I mean, my my taste back then was pretty lame. I mean, I, was, I, I had no idea what was going on. I mean, meanwhile, like two years later, you know, friends would introduce me to like stuff like Pantera and Metallica and stuff, and... It took me, I mean, uh, until after, you know, big things were released in 91 for me to really catch on. So all of these that were released back then, like Cannibal Corpse released their debut album. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would have. I mean, I'm not sure if that's like the the best taste in the world, but I mean, that's, you know, that's definitely more risky and more interesting than, I, I, I think that's what what made me make like almost a 45 degree angle in my interest in music was just when I understood that music can be risky and it can be interesting and some of it can be completely horrible. And then, (laughs) and then you'd have to learn from, you know, your choice, but at least people were making risks. But when you look at stuff like the Grammys that were released that year, it's a lot of not risk taking. (laughs) Well, and I think looking through this list, there's not, a risk take like there's it's weird because the more i look over this and i look over this and i'm like i mean yeah there's good stuff but there's nothing that just blows out of the water like the year before or the year after yeah like i i definitely don't have a tent pole you know in my heart for 1990 as like this is the best year ever in music but I do have like certain, you know, going back on collections and stuff, like when I will collect an entire band's discography and try to understand like where they came from. 90 is typically sort of an experimental year for a lot of these bands that, that might, you know, make different changes and stuff to their sound. Um, like I mentioned Sonic Youth again. I don't know how much how well versed on Sonic Youth you are. You don't really have to be because they change up. You know, I mean, it's just a bunch of craziness and noise most of the time. But like Goo is a huge album for them that came writing off. I think they were writing off of um, Teenage Daydream. Yes, that was '88 or '89. Yeah, so like they had already made that kind of bump in in popularity, and it's not quite my favorite of theirs, but. It's it's definitely one that kind of stood out to me as an interesting release that year, especially because Chuck D came out of nowhere and was in the <laughs> was in the studio at the same time that they were recording, and they're like, "Hey, Chuck, you want to be on this <laughs> on this on this track?" And he's like, uh, "Yeah." It's <laughs> like so <he> walks in and <laughs> no, I mean he doesn't have the doesn't have the flavor flavor um, you know uh, yeah. energy, but at the same time, it's like flavor flavor. <laughs> with his clock hanging down to his knees hey in uh, my mind thurston moore was standing there with his guitar halfway down to his knees and in comes play the play <laughs> exactly so my story is infinitely more interesting than what actually happened I, I don't think nirvana necessarily would be in the same position to have they not known about sonic youth and their experimental stylings because they love their punk music, which you'll hear on stuff like Bleach, which came out the year prior. But I think they really changed up what a release can be like for an album. And I think they really tried that more definitely on a neutero. But it's interesting, like whoever they were into, they definitely got that sound from somewhere else. And I just noticed that Goo was released that year. It's pretty interesting. 
I guess to put a break on what we were talking about earlier with, you know, all the different bands, I mean, I just the, the various trends were more interesting to me that I kind of broke out. And I don't know if you had a chance to read down here, but um, first, like, the, the first thing that popped out at me was was how huge Mariah Carey was at the time. So, <laughs> so oh, she was a monster. I, I really, I put down here that prepubescent me really should have just have accepted that <laughs> that the early era of Mariah Carey was a lot hotter than, than I, I really gave her credit for. <laughs> um, uh, no, uh, Mariah Carey's attractive. Yeah. I, I just, you know, I, I think it was just like maybe I think she was 19 or 21 when she first entered in the album, you know, Sphere and stuff and started releasing her hottest hits back then. But that I could not. I, I think that the whole whistle register was a really uh, big deal breaker for me because <laughs> I was like, I was like, uh, could I really get interested in somebody that just, you know, belts it? And I think the uh, the rumor at the time was that her pitch could go up so high that it would open up garage doors. <laughs> Break glass. I heard she could break glass. Oh, okay. Yeah, her voice. She could. She could pitch it, and it would break glass. That was yeah. the one I heard. Well, that's a pretty classic. You know, like if you're a classically trained singer, you can probably hit those those pitches that you know. If you have like a, a crystal glass or something like that, you're supposed to be able to do that. But, but yeah, <laughs> I, I heard from somewhere that she could, she was opening up garage doors and stuff like that because uh, the the pitch was so high that you couldn't even hear it anymore. But honestly, like we, I lost major interest after she released Honey. <laughs> like Puff Daddy got a hold of her and came out with that track, and I'm like, yeah, she's a little too into herself now, and I'm not interested in you. Well, and every December it's Mariah Carey season, and no, thank you. Oh, I know. No, well, thank she you. just—it's just the way it just goes to show. It's like the way you carry yourself sometimes can be more attractive. I just don't care for her post honey her you know what i mean like her head got a little inflated like <laughs> that's the one where she was like a secret spy in the video and she oh yeah and there's lots of uh jet skis yeah jet skis and her in like a two-piece and you know doing like the diving thing like she's the 007 of of uh, pop music or some stuff back then but I noted that the uh, that even though the Jock Jams didn't come back in, out until 1994 as like an official compilation, uh, this is some of the first years that we actually listened to Jock Jams without us really knowing it because of like the Eurodance craze. Y'all ready for this? Totally. I mean, we had we had Euro dance, we had Euro energy, we had dance floor. It was just called dance floor music in some countries, but but yeah, pep rallies and sports games were just known for <laughs> for some of these tracks, like Everybody Everybody by Black Box and Pump Up the Jam, Technic Track. Pump up the jam. Uh, no, that's pump up the volume. Pump up the volume. Dance, dance. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, Mars. Uh, yeah, pump up the volume. But yeah, that's uh, it was definitely some interesting time, and and the dance tracks of, uh, at the time made me pump up the jam. Everybody, everybody, Vogue by Madonna. I mean, everybody was doing the Vogue because of the of the music video back in the day. <laughs> uh, I love Madonna. Uh, she's got <laughs> she's got a little wacky now, but yeah, it's another one of those where it's like you could take her up until a certain point, and I think she got a little bit too much like in my army fatigues because you know, i'm faux rapping over this beat i'm drinking a soy latte i get a double shot it goes through my body and you know i'm satisfied i drop my mini keeper and i'm feeling super duper you they tell me i'm a trooper and you know i'm satisfied I yeah i don't i although you know what's funny is just to just to 
diverge here for a second. Yeah. Out of the big three of the 1980s, Prince, Michael Jackson, and Madonna, she's the only one left. Yeah. And that is crazy to me. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure that there's more than three if we really kind of went through like the the annals of history to kind of find uh, like some of the others. I mean, no, but I mean, think about it. Like, oh yeah, definitely. 80s MTV. It's Madonna, Prince, yeah. Michael Jackson, and then Springsteen with the Born in the USA album. Right. But really, out of those, like Madonna's the only one left. Yeah. That's crazy to me, at least. We're not gonna throw Neil Young some, uh, <laughs> some love. <for> <laughs> I mean, ragged glory, man. <laughs> and I mean, I I know Michael Bolton's around because I passed a billboard. He's on tour. Oh yeah. So for those of you in the those of you in the greater San Diego Inland Empire area, he's playing at uh, Pachanga in March. Man. Yeah, we're, we're I'm gonna touch on him <laughs> shortly because. Uh, after watching the entirety of that Grammys for 1990, that was quite a, a watch with him coming out of nowhere and, and uh, singing over Kenny G and being there on stage. And by the way, oh my god, it's like everything. It's everything your mother loves. Yeah, talk about some fan fiction. Talking about their interlocking curls and stuff on stage. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see that. Good. <laughs> They're just gonna melt together like those blue people in Avatar with their hair. <laughs> if if Tumblr was around back then, I'm sure the fan page would be made about that. Oh, that year, you know, we saw the formation of Third Eye Blind, uh, Massive Attack, uh, Converge was a huge, um, I guess, a hardcore metal metalcore band that you know was known later on, but they started then. Local H, which they always got credited for being a grunge group, but I never really counted them as like anything other than just like an alternative rock. Yeah, no, they just got that alter- alternative vibe. Yeah. Um, body Count was formed then. Yeah. Ice T. <laughs> body Count's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I can't I can't say my favorite Body Count song on their show because my kids are listening, but look up the Body Count song with a K in it. There you go. Sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to look that up after the show. I, I haven't gone through that much either. Temple of the Dog, of course, they formed then for that reason of honoring uh, Andrew Wood, and then um, some put you know Tool in the in the history as forming and then as well for 1990, which is a possibility, I suppose. Yeah, and I mean that's got to be early Rage Against the Machine too. Yeah, because those guys were all together. Yeah, they were like a college Rat Pack band, the two of them. Yeah, well, I think. Tom Morello and Adam Jones went to high school together. Mm, yeah, well, yeah, it, it's definitely gone back in, the, in before then. Yeah, it was also the the final record for a few people, like uh, replacements. Um, they have their record all shook down. <sighs> There's there. Okay, I don't. What's the big deal? <laughs> it's I don't I don't know. I didn't mind Why his do... his his solo stuff was not too bad. Who Paul Westerberg? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I like the song. He, I like the songs he did for singles, or for, right. yeah, for singles. But like, I don't. I, they're like sublime to me. I don't get it. Mm. Yeah, I don't get this this thing people have with the replacements. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe I'm not the right age. I don't know, but man, people love the replacements. But they're usually like dads who are in their fifties and. It's sort of like a college rock thing, right? Like for the time, yeah. Like an REM or you know, 
Well, like now, uh, replacements more rocking than REM. Uh, yeah. The replacement, the replacements kind of got that. Okay, I shouldn't say I don't get the replacements thing, but I don't get the replacements thing. <laughs> if I had to pick one of of the bands of that ilk, like I'm, I'm way Husker Do than uh-huh. I am like the replacements, and they're kind of they're similar. I just don't get the thing like. I love Husker Du, but I don't have this huge, I don't even know the word for it, like fandom or obsession that some people do with the replacements. It's kind of like when people would like cherry pick, you know, Screaming Trees or something like that as like a huge, you know, and you're like, yeah, they had good songs, but I don't necessarily own a t-shirt of the Screaming Trees, you know what I mean? Like that sort of thing. Um, also, sowing the seeds of love uh, was right before their breakup. Tears uh, for fears. The tears for fears. Uh, Judas Priest, uh, I guess, was on a pretty good tear with uh, releasing albums until 90, 1990. They released. They didn't release an album after that for about seven years. So it was a, it was definitely like a, a breaking point with a lot of bands that you know some were celebrating their fifth year together and their fifth albums, but then some were just like, eh. Like, let's get out of here. Yeah, and I, well, and I think it was a it, kind of touched on this earlier. Like some of it's like a period of like changing with the time. Yeah, nineteen ninety, like eighty nine ninety is about the time where you know you two had put out the Joshua Tree, and then they did Rattle and Hum, and they toured forever. And you know the, the the infamous thing with Bono saying, you know, we have to go away and dream it all over again, right? Like, and then you go from the Joshua Tree to Octone Baby. Mm-hmm. which is, I mean, you talk about tonal shift. It's completely the opposite of the Joshua tree. Yeah. So I think that's what it is too, is your careers are starting to wane. Some are starting to wax and some are having to find a different road to hoe at this point. No. Like I, I saw one on here. I didn't realize this was 90. I was thinking it was 91. And an example of that is the good son by Nick Cave and the bad seeds. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I love Nick Cave. So the first couple Bad Seeds albums are a little more frenetic, a little more raucous. You got some piano on it, but it's more that typical, well, it's got still some of the birthday party vibe to it. And it's not as ballady as some of his material became. And then The Good Son comes and it has the weeping song, which is kind of ballady. It's a duet between him and Blix of Bargeld. And you've got the ship song, which is a straight up ballad. Mm-hmm. And then Lament, which is another ballad, like there's not a, there's not a lot of rocking on the good son. So there, and you start to see that shift of like he's going to have some more piano ballads, and then you get the Boatman's Call in '97, which is almost all entirely piano ballads. Um, so just as an example of groups that have been together for a little while, that you know 1990 hits, and it's like that changing of the decade. We've got to go back, and we got to do something different. Hmm. And new technologies was entering, you know, like I was saying before, it's where the eighties was almost relying so much on technology. It, the nineties was sort of like, it like maybe, maybe the, the trend was to die down a little bit more like with that and just kind of keep it in the background, not so much rely on it to make the, the music, but then it, it, it sort of formed that fork in the road where it's like either you got really into the technology and you created like an industrial group or you created, you know, you like went the other way with it pop wise and 
maybe put it on the background or something like that. And or your your Depeche mode, and you have like four songs with a guitar on it. True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bring in bring in the more like human element you know for some of these things mm-hmm. um but glam metal was still in favor with its second wave you know winding down after slaughter you know really stick it to you and uh firehouse <laughs> and poison of course you mentioned at the very uh start of this so i had the slaughter single of their power ballad mm-hmm. which was fly to the angels right and then their other so of course here, let's follow the formula. We could probably do this with every hair metal band. <laughs> follow the formula. Lead off rock track. Slaughter. You got up all night, sleep all day. Follow that up with the power ballot. Fly to the angels. Rinse and repeat. Yeah, you got like the wild side later on. Mm-hmm. Which was a great song. <laughs> I, used to, <laughs> I used to love it when uh, our friend Justin used to have that album. And it's, it was a great, um, interesting track. Yeah, and then we got uh, a, a slew of compilations that year from like huge artists by Madonna, David Bowie, The Stranglers, Rod Stewart, and uh, Depeche Mode. Then released theirs. You know, we had we had huge singles back then, um, but uh, all that paled in comparison because Gigi Allen was still around, so <laughs> all eyes were on him. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> We uh, in our rock, uh, you know, I should just mention in the in the other rock categories, we had the Allison Chains released theirs, um, Rats with Detonator, <laughs> The Quiet Riot, Queensrÿche, Primus, Obituary, and Cannibal Corpse that year. Big year. <laughs> Ooh, big year! Big year for the metal and Slayer, and um, and then we had like bands like Warrant and Winger and. <laughs> Molly, Molly Crew with uh, Dr. Feelgood. Oh, my God. I love Cherry Pie. <laughs> wait, wait, here we go. Let's let's do the formula on Warrant's Cherry Pie. So you lead off with Cherry Pie. You're right. Followed up with not quite a power ballad, but still a more introspective song, which is Uncle Tom's Cabin. Mm, yeah. I'm going to have to listen to some of this stuff later. <laughs> Definitely gives you something to, to go back on. Soundgarden did release uh, theirs. I, I forgot about uh, Screaming Life and Fop, which is like, okay. I guess, was it two EPs? Yeah. Yeah. I think Cowboys from Hell for uh, Pantera. And then... Um, oh, man. Yeah, and like I, I, I think I have an affinity towards Cowboys from Hell, which is odd because... You know, you talk about a glam band who totally changed their style around that around this time... Um, they used to sing real high and crazy, and uh, Phil and Somna really let it belt out. But And this was like the very tail end of that for his career, I believe, because after that, it's always been sort of straight ahead, almost like bro metal. <laughs> like, kind of, uh, you know. Um, I love Cemetery Gates, but I have to... T- I, no, like, I, I got to turn it off at like the four and a half minute mark. I do love the the what do they call it the uh, the call and call and response yeah call and response of his his voice to to Dimebag's guitar in that though so that's why that I, is cool that's why I always liked listening to that part of it because it was like he would match note for note you know each uh, each other's notes back and forth and it was kind of interesting but it's funny how that song just doesn't really go anywhere it just sort of fades out <laughs> like after <laughs> yeah, like no, after it's... one long like you know long Dimebag Daryl note just like squeal it it doesn't know how to end yeah kind of like uh, for whom the bell tolls it just doesn't know how to end right right. 
but I, I ended up getting, you know, the Cowboys from Hell, the videos before I even had the album, which was interesting because I think I respected them more from Vulgar Display of Power. And then I kind of went back in time to kind of see where they came from. And it was still, it was like one of those Nirvana moments where their personality was a lot more than just their, you know, headbanging and doing whatever on stage. They had a little bit more like slapstick and stuff between each other. And that was kind of fun to <laughs> just, just some wacky boys from Texas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you some of the greatest, you know, scenes with Dimebag running around with like a, you know, like a five inch speaker and him and his guitar just like wailing for nobody and like on the street. It's pretty, <laughs> pretty hilarious. Let's talk MTV. I mean, back in the day, um, MTV broadcasts, uh, this is like, what, nine years into their formation of MTV. So, yes, because MTV brought MTV started 26 days before I was born. Nice. Yeah, just uh, just in time to welcome you to the universe. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, hey, we're a new channel. Well, I'm a new baby. We're going to grow up together. Yeah. They actually broadcast their first episode of MTB Unplugged. Uh, so that series was great. And uh, with the most random group, Squeeze, from like the 70s. Well, sometimes you got to be tempted by the fruit of another. Yeah, yes, but it's just—I it, don't know for the, for what they were known for. They were mostly known for what alternative groups and like sometimes what was an LL Cool J one of them. LL Cool J did one. Lauren Hill did one. Yeah, Lauren Hill did one. We had Jay Z did one. Yeah. So it became like sort of something that artists wanted to be on, but before that was even a thing, this was like the first year for them. Because when I hear Big Pimp and I want it to be done with like an acoustic guitar. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe it, maybe it's got a little different flavor, you know. Um, it was also the first year for the MTV Beach House, or Beach MTV rather. And then their top 10 at 10 debuts that year. This is back whenever music videos were still a thing and they really put an emphasis on them being, you know, your video magazine to go towards. This music is... Uh, Entering your life through MTV. Totally Polly from Polly Shore debuts. <laughs> oh, God. The uh, Ben Stiller show made its debut. It's not, not music related, but it was like one of the funnier comedy shows back in the day. Yeah, no, it was it was good. Yeah. Even though, I mean, Andy Dick was a huge part. But Andy Dick in his, his own right is kind of funny, and you just got to take him in doses. Yeah, I know. Very, very small ones, but yes. Yeah. And then, uh, and then our favorite again, Rock and Jock starts that year. Oh, <laughs> so, God, I love Rock and Jock, <laughs> which is a great concept for those of you who haven't seen it. It's just like your favorite, you know, music. Uh, did they branch out into like actors and stuff? No, or? yeah, it was like actors and and musicians. Yeah, it was just like anybody celebrity. Well, and and know, actual wanted. athletes. Right, right. So they got they got from all types just to like be on these teams, and they would be in like oversized shorts like your marky marks and stuff <laughs> would be out there shooting three you know shooting three throws and uh stuff like that oh yeah here let, let let's go let's go all right i just looked it up so we're gonna go through the first mtv's first annual rock and jock diamond derby Ooh. <clears throat> right so this was a softball game oh yeah yeah okay all right Sunday, 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 January 21st, Fidoe Field, USC, University of Spoiled Children. What was that? You ever heard USC, man? University of Spoiled Children. Oh, I didn't know that. Was it that? Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. So, our team names are the Aardvarks and the Salamanders. <laughs> team coaches. The late, great Sam Kinniston. Oh, my. Of the Aardvarks. 
And the coach of the Salamanders, the Red Rocker himself, he can't drive 55, Sammy Hagar. Okay. Our sideline reporters are, and I'm only going to say the ones people will know their names, Martha Quinn and downtown Julie Brown. Nice. The national anthem was played by Steve Vai. Okay. Uh, side note, uh, in 1990, uh, speaking of Steve Vai, so in 1990, um, I'm sure at the Grammys in 1991 they played this. So in 1990, uh, we lost Stevie Ray Vaughan mm-hmm. to a helicopter accident. And I know that because Stevie Ray Vaughan died on my ninth birthday. Same day and everything. Hmm. So. And I was thinking about that because I just got done listening to uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan's cover of Little Wing by Jimi Hendrix not too long ago. But yes. Uh, so, Team Aardvarks. Eddie, Eddie Murray uh, played for the Baltimore Orioles. Don't know. He's on first base. On second base, Brett Michaels, lead singer for Poison. Shortstop, Barry Larkin, played on the Cincinnati Reds. Third base, Corbin Bernson, actor. He was in L.A. Law and Major League. All right, right field, Mark McGuire. Yes, the Mark McGuire. Right center field. Now, people, these are more than your standard size baseball team, so just get over it. In right center field, we've got Heaven is a Place on Earth's Belinda Carlisle. All right, left center field. Baseball player, not the hotel, Howard Johnson. In left field, coming to you with his harem pants on, MC Hammer. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, let's let's get into your bench players here, right? Who's, who's riding the bench on the yard bars? Uh, Tom Peterson, baseball player from Cheap Trick. Roger McDowell, pitcher, New York Mets and 1986 World Series champion. Uh, designated hitter, Lou Graham, musician and foreigner. All right, continuing on the bench, we've got David Faustino, married with children, Brian Robbins, head of the class, and and a little a little actor you might have heard of him, right? Theodore S. Logan, and more recent people might know him as John Wick himself, Keanu Reeves. And that rounds out your aardvarks. <laughs> Salamanders. This is killer content, by the way, I know. Salamanders. And I gotta read it in my baseball voice. Yeah. Wally Joyner. First base. From the California Angels. Second base. He's the funky cold Medina. Tone Loke. Shortstop. Siobhan Dunstan. Played on the Cubs. Don't know. Third base. He dances with the wolves. Kevin Costner. Right field. Daryl Strawberry. Daryl. 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 Yeah, exactly. Right center field. Oh boy. Hip Winger from Winger. Because she was only 17. All right, left center field from the Texas Rangers, Rafael Palmera. Left field, he's got an appetite for destruction. It's Steven Adler. This is probably this is probably before he had the stroke too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, catcher, catcher for the yard marks. Bruce Hornsby, 
He is on the range. Yes. Pitcher, Mark Langston from the California Angels. Riding the bench for the artworks, Robert Wool. You would know him as Knox in the Batman film. Mm. Right? Holly Robinson Pete from 21 Jump Street. Robin Zander, lead singer, Cheap Trick. <laughs> and rounding it out, Mike Lookinland, actor, Bobby Brady on the Brady Bunch. What the heck? <laughs> yep. Wow. So there you go. Just a taste <laughs> of, of the variety of the, of the, of the first rock and jock, first rock and jock softball game from 1990. Um, I don't know if this is on YouTube, but boy, it sounds like a lot of fun. It would be interesting to see. I mean, because I, oh, yeah. I, I definitely remember Holly Robinson, uh, like just sitting on the bench for most of the, <laughs> of the game, if I can remember in the back of my head. I remember the later ones and just hearing Kenny Lofton's name consistently. <laughs> Kenny Lofton was a baseball player for the Cleveland Indians mm. or the Guardians, I think they're called now. Yeah. Yeah. I've been past the, uh, the old stadium, the new one now. So go ahead. Now that we, we diverged on the rocket, Jack. Yeah. Very nice. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, to give you a taste of who won in the, the video music awards for that year for MTV, we have, you know, Michael Penn with no myth who, uh, <laughs> as the best new artist in a video, we have MC hammers. You can't touch this for the best rap video, best dance video as well. And then the, uh, Tears for Fear sowing the seeds of love this is a break breakthrough video, which I think it is known for like its artistry. Yes, it is. It's yeah. pretty over the top. Yeah. Um. So let's talk Grammys because like that that was that's always a huge, you know, the, the first thing that I think of when we try to dissect what a decade went through was to kind of look at what the pop culture Grammys and everything awarded and who respected who back then on the special shows. So originally it opens up with Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. <laughs> um, I was thinking about it like, okay, what kind of risks were being taken back then as far as like pop culture? Who was making a big splash? And I guess if you had to look at We Didn't Start the Fire, it was kind of a edgy kind of like, ooh, he's talking about political stuff or in like, you know, um, juxtaposing it with some craziness that's happening in the cultural, I don't know, the zeitgeist at the time and, and current events. And it was kind of a big deal, I, I suppose, at the time. But for a 10-year-old me, I was like, I don't know, this guy that was singing about... <laughs> Just the way you are. And she's always a woman. Yeah, now he's like getting all all edgy. <laughs> so, and, and I don't, and I'm not saying this to mean any form of slander. Mm-hmm. But we didn't start the fire, really. It's like the baby boomer anthem, right? Yeah, sort of, sort of like like passing the buck. <clears throat> yeah, everything that happens in that song is all baby boom, right? Because it's basically from after World War II and forward. Yeah. So, it's it's like the baby boomer anthem. <laughs> and uh, Don Henley went on to to play his song "The End of Innocence," and he won, and then he won the Grammy which uh, I mentioned to you before we started was uh, basically in this award ceremony, they would have them play their biggest song sort of like, uh, so Aaron Neville will come out with uh, <laughs> what's her name? Um, look, look at this face. Exactly. <laughs> Aaron Neville will come out with them. <laughs> and sing, sing with a, it was a Linda Ronstadt. That's what it was. But, but, but I'm the one. <laughs> 
<laughs> not not quite the register to open up garage doors, but, <laughs> but still uh, no. No, so like they would come out and sing their biggest song, and then they would win the uh, almost immediately go and win the Grammy for that song. So you'd see them like twice in in the culmination of like ten minutes or fifteen minutes, and you're like, uh, you know, it's kind of like telegraphing. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, who's gonna win this one? I don't know. Like, and then they would just come <laughs> right back on to the uh, you know the the stage and accept their award. The craziest thing was that they had a raucous audience, like a like a live audience out of nowhere. And I remember that it it kind of tamed that down in later years, where it wasn't it was more supposed to be like exclusive to you know, like at least people that were somewhat industry types. Yeah, industry types, um, producers, you know that sort of thing. Um, just you know to because right is like Van, Millie Vanilli's name was <laughs> was introduced over the uh the nominations thing and all of a sudden like shrieks were just like coming in from all sides like whenever they were you know w- even mentioned and it it would be like if um i don't know name a name a k-pop group that you know or something bts yeah like a bts was mentioned like and now we have bts for best new group and then all of a sudden like people go crazy and i was like what is going on with this new this format so it was really different um that is the same one that they were nominated for the award and won and then they had to give it back um in the same year (laughs) because they were found to 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 be lip syncers and um it's too bad that they weren't you know born around now and we could have them be on tiktok and be a whole new sensation but, they wouldn't even have to limp sync. They just use auto tune. Yeah, true. Yeah, do use auto. We should. We should. We should do that. We should like cover a Millie Vanilli song and just do it on auto tune. Oh, that'd be cool. Blame it on the rain. <laughs> <laughs> I can't make the auto tune noise, but yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> totally. Or if you were weird out, you'd blame it on the drain because it was all about being a plumber. <laughs> And uh, so there was no real metal performance, which was interesting because they released like all those albums that we talked about earlier and not really a rocker was found in the entirety of the Grammys. And the most rocking performance is I, I believe we didn't start the fire. <laughs> like it was probably the most like raw that the night got. <laughs> it was funny to see that rap at the time was sort of uh, filtered down to like the Fresh Prince singing his song or their song. Um, I think I can beat Mike Tyson. Which is really funny because I'm like I forgot all about that song, and I'm like, no, you can't, man. Like, like, who are you talking about? He, he you know? kill you. Yeah, he'll he'll like destroy you with like you know a, a finger. <laughs> like, I don't even know who you're talking about. You're gonna destroy. I noticed that it was a super long Grammy, so it was at least like three hours. Uh, maybe three and a half hours, which went in depth with like classical nominees. Like they were talking about who you watched the whole thing. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I had, I had nothing to do. I mean, (laughs) that's brutal. I just kind of like left it on and like, but I noticed like certain things, like they would go into depth about like who won the best classical um, album of the year. And you'd like, and then you'd listen to like an opera singer perform some piece by Porgy and Bess. And I'm like, I don't even know. I don't know any of these, like, you know, like call me a culture swine, but. 
Well, and it's like the people wonder why they don't watch award shows. It's like, really? Yeah. I mean, especially back then, it just was like, you know, here's another artist you've never heard of, like singing in a style that wasn't a pop, you know, style. That's it's no wonder why you know MTV sort of went the way of like. You know, when, now we're going to be super crazy and like something, something salacious is going to happen during this thing. And you better watch because you're going to miss it. And what was funny is that they even got to like, you know, two, two huge, um, what are they called? The, uh, the lifetime achievement awards were, pre- were presented that day or that night for Paul McCartney and then for Miles Davis. Okay. And so Paul McCartney's went on like super long. Like I would say, I don't know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, like just kind of retrospecting going back on old Beatles tunes. Like, like we had never heard it before. And, and the funny part was then like when Miles Davis came out and they kind of blasted through his little, like five minute production or whatever. And then he went on to play some song like his, you know, sort of jazz trumpet style. It sounds great at a time, you know, whatever, but <laughs> But, but Herbie Hancock was on stage and he it's presented Herbie him the Hancock. award and he goes, he goes, we just wanted to thank you for everything you, you've given us. So here's your lifetime achievement award. And instead of like some huge, long drawn out, you know, acceptance speech, he just goes, thank you. And just, just like walks on. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, that's what, that's what you do. Miles Davis has the baller move right there. Exactly. He's just like, yeah, whatever. Like I'm leave me off the stage. If you didn't watch the Grammys that night, you would you would have missed the fine young cannibal singing. She drives me crazy. <laughs> ooh ooh. Oh, that song drives me crazy. <laughs> the the song that she would have loved. Just Metallica won that night for the the first Grammy award for the best metal performance for one. So that, I was I saw that and it's weird. Yeah. Because they did not notoriously and famously they did not win for Injustice for All because who won it in their stead. Jeff Protol. Right. So I'm wondering if it's like, because they, they did the video, is that why? Possibly. I think that's probably what it's for. It was just like the, the production of like something yeah. like the video, and then that's like what the production is, I guess, the, uh, the mental performance that you want to call it. Uh, it's just weird. Yeah, no, I thought it was like a weird inclusion too, especially during a time when you had like, like I said before, no rock acts or or, hard, or even hard rock acts on the stage that night. They were like, yeah, and we're gonna throw a bone to Metallica tonight. <laughs> You're like, okay. And getting out of, I guess, just the awards and stuff. I just wanted to like touch on some singles before we we say our goodbyes. So like, Sinead O'Connor infam- infamously released "Nothing Compares to You" that year. The whole Prince you know saga with that song and everything um i know that he was kind of upset i think about really? him uh there were, there were kind of like some some inviting on that i did not know that i mean uh, yeah because i didn't appreciate her cover as a youth uh-huh. but i it grew on me with time and then there's like that whole um oh the pope thing yeah like there's that yeah and actually, I, I watched that, and I thought it took some major huevos to get up there and, and say what you're talking about. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, especially especially when all you're known for is sort of like this cover and this kind of like quaint song, you know, similar to a kin of like, uh, My Name is Luca or something like that. You know, <laughs> where, 
don't know. You're just like, huh, okay, Suzanne Vega, like, are, are you, like, the next next one on the list, or what, you know? That song's gonna be stuck in my head now. <laughs> I live on the second floor. My name is Luca. <laughs> I live on the second floor. So many people don't get that. Oh, I know. Well, I mean, you gotta go go back in the annals of, uh, of Wikipedia and learn more about that song. Is interesting. We also got, you know, tracks like Joey from Concrete Blonde that were akin to the same sort of style, like Nothing Compares to You, which is odd because Concrete Blonde had like an interesting gothy kind of tinge to them. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they just opened for Tool on a couple shows, didn't they? No, that was... um, Blonde Redhead. You think of Blonde Redhead, yeah. Yeah, I know. Blonde Redhead, Concrete Blonde. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's 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 got blonde in the title. <laughs> one, one is uh, I don't know, um, you know, and, and of course, like our our VH1, you know, fans would not be akin or hear anything other than something from Wilson Phillips that year. I mean, like hold on or someday somebody gonna make you cry. You're in love or release me. Oh God, that <laughs> that album was a monster. It was a monster, and it's an interesting time because, like, I, I just picturing three women kind of singing at the same time over each other in harmonics. Just, I mean, that was something for the time where it's, I don't know, it was, well, almost, it was almost like and, heart, but heart kind of went back and forth. And I mean, it's cool that they were all singing over it. I don't even think that it was that was the issue. Yeah, it was. I think more to do with who they were. Oh sure, yeah, their lineage and the like, where they came from, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, and then we talked uh, briefly about Vogue being a huge one for Madonna at the time. I I forget when her sex book came out, but that was a huge time for her. Uh, I think that was a year or two after. Was that after? Yes. Was that like the Sean Penn year? No, no, no. They they they'd been divorced by oh, then. Okay. No, it was Warren. You're thinking of Warren Beatty. She was with Warren Beatty at this time. Yeah, because okay, so because she released the "I'm Breathless" around this time, right? Right, which is from Dick Tracy, which is how she met Warren Beatty. Right, and from there you get to Kevin Bacon. Right, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, but no, she was with Warren Beatty because uh, her and Sean Penn had already been divorced. I think her and Sean Penn were divorced before "Like a Prayer." Okay, yeah, I'm not too. I mean, some of that gets a little hazy in my memory of of, uh, of Madonna, but I'll always remember her for Wayne's World appearance. Yes, when she uh, <laughs> when she, when she took when she took Garth on a ride back in her uh, <laughs> what's the what's the song I'm thinking of? Justify my love. Yeah, when she took yeah through the. Are we thinking of the same? Yeah, in the Justify My Love video, like an, he's like man, that guy's yeah. got a major. major <laughs> look, at a, look at a unit on that guy. <laughs> yeah, it was one of the the funniest moments. I've... They were like busted, like. Uh, Cause you, yeah, it was like, it got banned and they weren't supposed to watch it. And, right. Um, that video was a big um, stink. Oh, on the show. Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 Cause this, this was before you could like really even say, you know, getting away with any kind of words, let alone images on screen. So it was kind of a big deal that, Oh yeah, no, she was, she was releasing like, you know, very controversial stuff back in the day. Then, other than just like a prayer, I mean, she was like kind of pushing all the buttons. So she released that. So we had Salt and Pepper. Let's talk about sex. If you want to talk about more about sex, like you know, sexy uh, things out of the day. Well, let's talk about let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things 
and the, and the bad, bad things. things that may be. Absolutely. But then you had your in vogues with your hold on. Not not quite the uh the I wear high heels. Yeah. Wait, no, I wear tight clothes, high heel boots. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I'm a prostitute. <laughs> no, no, no. Um oh what is that song? Free your mind. Yeah, that's what it is. I was gonna yell at the wife. Yeah. She might know. Yeah, free your it wasn't quite free your mind. Free your but... mind. Right. Race follow. <laughs> Like that's the invoke I wanted, like from then on, you know. Yeah. I, like I wanted to hear like a rocking out, like invoke, you know. Very, very akin to the Rhythm Nation sort of instrumentals and stuff back in the day, where she would rock out to like Black Cat and <laughs> oh, we had the Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two and O theme. <laughs> Totally. I had a momentary pause there because I was like, okay, I'm gonna break into this riff and I hope it's the right one. Am I thinking of Melrose Place? No, no, it's Beverly Hills. Yeah, you wanna you wanna bring out the right one. Um Cinderella had a had a hit with Shelter Me. Uh Divinals, I touch myself. Who else to really touch on? I mean, Modern English, I guess, had a re-recording of I Melt With You at the time. They, Yeah, so they, they re-recorded that. Because originally, the original song came out in 81. Right. 82 on the After the Snow album. Yeah, they did a re-recorded version of it. And it's... I don't like it. It's not that, it's not that good. Not no, it's, it's stick with the standard version. Yeah. New Kids on the Block. I mean, I can't you know <laughs> so the funniest thing uh i was listening to um step by step and they get to a point in the song you have to look it up it's when they get to they're like step one and like like it, it throws the solo to one of the singers i think it's like danny or one of them okay and and he goes he goes step one, one, one. we can have lots of fun And I thought it was just hilarious. But, maybe maybe that's his that's his move on Jenny McCarthy now. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I just uh, you have to listen to step by step by New Kids on the Block. I mean, if you're if you'd never heard it, um, did you have the tape? I had the tape. I did not. I was one of those closeted kind of like you know, like I I would buy the books and I would watch the cartoon and I'd you know kind of catch the the music video here and there. But I was always forget, you know, I'm like, eh, do I really want to put like wear, you know, like a new kids on the block t-shirt or something? You know, it's, it just, it felt a little off to me. Say if you had the t-shirt, did you have the tape? That was all. I'm just saying like, no, I didn't, I didn't have the tape. I I just was like, I I, I saved my tape collection for like, you know, Bill Bidvo and stuff like that. That girl is poison. Yeah. Yeah. I had I had uh, a step and the self-titled album. Oh yeah, hang it, no, hang it tough. Nice. Yeah, I, I had them. I had them both. The the rough song, <laughs> the the rough album. Yeah. Whoa, <laughs> just hang it tough. You know, Bart Simpson. Uh, the, the the Simpsons actually debuted in like late '89, so um, they came out with their Simpsons Sing the Blues album, which was like, yeah, whatever, you know, but. Uh, yeah, that was 
that was weird. Yeah, but dude, the Bartman was like a craze because it's like, oh, this weird little, you know, cartoon guy like running around being cool or something. <laughs> he's, t- he's he's telling me to do stuff. <laughs> and I remember you had the Bartman uh, um, T-shirt. I did. No, uh, was it Bartman? Yeah. I know I had one of them. I, I, remember, I wasn't sure if it... I remember it was that because I remember like the purple imagery and like of his. Yes, of his, yes, because uh, because there was like the Bart, there was the Bartman shirt, and then there was the Bart Simpson underachiever and proud of it shirt. Yeah, yeah, true. I had the uh, the bootleg. Um, uh, I didn't do it. Nobody saw me do it, and you can't prove anything or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Going a different direction, Garth Brooks. I got love and I got friends in low places. That was a huge one for him. Uh, you know, the '90s were really the era of Garth. Yeah, was that a Th- Thunder Rolls uh, thing too? Gar- no, Thunder Rolls is like '92, but yeah. there. Look, I'm not going to be shy about it. Like, there are some really good Garth Brooks songs. Yeah, you've, you've thrown that out there before. I, I just, <laughs> just I, I mean, I mean, retrospectively, can I pick up one today and like kind of get into it? I don't know. It's, I don't know. Like, (laughs) I just, I have that zero interest in country music where I'm just like, I don't know. It's, it's a big ask for me. Have any, any more of these kind of jump out for you? McGander here. Mm, Goo Goo Dolls when they were still metal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Billy Idol, Cradle of Love. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That video. Oh boy. (laughs) yeah. I found it awkward to watch that video as a kid. Yeah. And I think if I was to put it on now, I'd still find it a little awkward. <laughs> With his upturned lip. Uh it's not the Billy Idol part that makes it feel awkward. No. It's the young lady like writhing around on the floor and <laughs> acting sinful. I mean <laughs> Yes. Yes. That mm, yeah. I mean, I like the song. Right. Uh, and, you know, Billy Idol just got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Oh, really? Topical, yes. Topical. Nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, because Henry Rollins is the one that gave it to him. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I did see a uh, picture of that somewhere. But, yeah, no, I'm, I really like the song. But, yeah, I know that video, man. It, 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 <laughs> weird. <something. laughs> it, yeah, it, it, feel, it feels weird to watch it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I didn't even bring up like any of the of the uh, the rap that came out that year. Um, I know that Boogie Down Productions with KRS One uh, they released Edutainment that year, which is um, I think what where they got some samples for like a Dr. Dre album and stuff. You know, later on that in the decade. With the hip hop stuff, that's going to be more your wheelhouse than mine. Yeah. Well, I mean, but you know, like Ice Cube came out with America K, however you say it, America KKK is most wanted. America KKK was most wanted. Yeah, it was a pretty like you know influential, important album that year. Digital Underground with Sex Packets. They had uh, yes, okay, so dance. yeah, the hum- <laughs> I wanted that tape so bad because I love the Hump to Dance. Right. Um, yeah, uh, that was a miss. Christmas of nineteen ninety because. Uh, the name of the album was not approved. Oh, okay. Yeah, true. Yeah, could. Yeah, which is interesting because saw the name of the album. I, I was reading up on it with like doing some research and stuff, and I found out that it was supposed to be like a um, concept album, like throughout the entire thing. It was supposed, it was okay. supposed to be like 
I mean, you should go and read it because it's not like really appropriate to to read. Like, I guess what the uh, the cover of it is sort of like on air. The, the the cover is showing sort of like some rubbers on the guy's hand, and it has to do with like like uh, being sort of like superhero around that kind of uh, <laughs> like that. I don't know. It's it's an interesting story. Not exactly like a pop up book. Uh, sound. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Fear of a Black Planet was released by Public Enemy, which uh, had 911 as a joke. Okay, that that I I do remember. I remember like seeing MTV at night and seeing and just seeing Flavor Flav get up, oh, get, yeah. get get down, 911 is a joke. And I'm seeing the video and I'm like, I'm like this is awesome. Welcome to the Cherry Dome with like one of the most annoying horn samples you'd ever hear in a, in a, in a hip hop song. Yeah, I saw song. that. I don't know if I know that song. Like it's just like constant, just back and forth. Um, yeah, I mean, we got uh, some okay. D Light came out with Grooves in the Heart, which is a great oh. you know, one hit wonder for them. But I mean, that's that was like the sign of the times. It was like writing that Euro dance, you know, like oddball. I don't know how to explain it, but it <laughs> <that> was, <laughs> was different times, different times back then. Bad Religion released um, Against the Grain, which I, I love Modern Man, 21st Century Digital Boy. I'm not huge into... Uh, the Bad Religion there? Bad Religion, no. See, I'm, I'm more that way with uh, Social D and Social Distortion released one as well. I, I always thought that his voice was a little odd, but some people think that Bad Religion is odd too, so I don't know. Well, that Social Distortion album, that was... Let me cross-reference here. Um that self-titled album, that was really their... I mean, they did Prison Bound because um, Mike Ness, he went away for a while. Oh, yeah, Mike Ness, yeah. Because he had some issues. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it, was a huge, it was a huge album. I mean, Story of My Life, Ball and Chain, Ring of Fire. Oh, yeah, no, that's... I mean, I mean they still play that around here, too. Yeah, yeah, that was a big... Like, if you want to talk about 91X music... Wait, where, where is that? But... 91X... Thank you. <laughs> I'm gonna find it. You know, it's like 91X music. I mean, Social D was all 91, or you know, 91X would play like on, you know, when they were stuck with like no new something to play, they'd be like, I don't know, put it on Social. We well, don't have any new Nirvana songs. Play Ball and Chain again, <laughs> or Story right. of My Life. Yeah, I worked with a guy that like him and his son were like huge Social D. They had tattoos of like the dancing skeleton stuff on their their arms and stuff. I, and it was a big. I had a guy I used to work with. Yeah, he's like, because he knew how much I like Nine Inch Nails. He's like, yeah. Mike Ness is my Trent Reznor, and I'm like, or Mike Ness is 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 my Trent Reznor to you, and I'm like, okay, I'm, all right, fair <laughs> enough, that's fine. Again, it's like. Playing the replacements, you know. It's like, yeah, I mean, I enjoy a lot of whatever you're. I on. enjoy a lot of social distortion music, but um, I don't know. Mike Ness, Mike Ness <laughs> hasn't written the soundtrack of my life, so right. I did see another one on here. I just want to touch on real quick because um, there's a song on this album I actually like, which is "World Party" and the "Goodbye Jumbo" album. Yeah, "Message in a Box" that's a really good song. Um, hmm. I mean, it's nothing earth shattering or anything. It's just got it's got a good hook. It's a good song. Cool. Yeah. I had like well, some of my my odd ones I I remember back in the day. I mean, I can't leave without talking about "Unbelievable" by EMF. <laughs> You're unbelievable. Oh. Um, there you go.
And, you know, as weird as it is, like, we were both, like, really into wrestling at the time. The Undertaker's original 1990 Funeral March song. <laughs> I don't care what anyone says. I am 41 years old. I had, so a couple weeks ago, there was, there was five kids in my house. And I don't, live in a, mm-hmm. I don't live in a big house. So there was five kids in my house. Three of them were watching wrestling. Um, the oldest daughter and the boy. And then my nephew, who's my son's age. And they're like watching old wrestling on YouTube. And man, I heard boom. I heard the gong <laughs> come on. And I'm telling you, I still watch it. And, and just the hairs on the back of the neck come out. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, here he comes. It's a fire. And it's just that that funeral march well, song that shut off the lights and uh, yeah like it still gets me to this day yeah. um and like i watched when the undertaker retired um or like back in 2017 where they thought it was going to be his last match and he took the hat off and the gloves mm-hmm. are in the middle of the ring and i was like oh, no <laughs> you know like don't don't go away taker um and I watched his Hall of Fame thing where he just stood up there and talked for an hour, and I was, like, enthralled. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that Undertaker music, man, it still gets me. It's, like, I, it used to be, it was on my workout playlist for a long time, and something about it, like, you just stand a little taller. You walk, you walk a little slower, you, you stand a little taller, and you're, like, badass. <laughs> but, I mean, I wish That's I was tall as that guy, but... <laughs> I um a couple odd memories in this uh, listing too was like the uh, the Luke of Two Live Crew <laughs> singing band in the USA was it was a big time uh, it, it was interesting because around like we were talking about Madonna I remember listening to Two Live Crew for the first time at somebody's house and I was like what is this about because I you know they would just go on rants about like how how perverse they could be and oh it just, man it was stuff was dirty. Oh yeah, I mean it was a weird Miami base kind of kind of feel, but and then uh, the other real one that I wanted to put the put out there is I, I've never heard anybody else talk about it, and it's this weird track called "This Is Ponderous" by Two N U, which is <clears throat> it doesn't sound like much, but it's the weirdest. Take like the weirdest uh, art, you know, rock or whatever that came out in the eighties. And put it on the radio with just a guy talking about some weird dream he had, and like, what's like the backing music that it just sounds, you know, of the at the time that was probably the, the weirdest song I've ever heard in my life, and it just was, I guess, just overlooked by like everybody. But if there's if you ever want to listen to like a weird song just for the sake of you know. Like hearing what I'm talking about, like you'll 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 feel it, and it was on the radio, and I just thought it was odd. I'll, th- I'll throw that out there. I'm gonna have to look that up because I was not familiar with it. Yeah, it's it's like an odd, just like it, it reminds me of something that like Talking Heads would have put out, but but not sang, just like talked over. I don't know, weird music kind of in the background, but it's a it's it's a weird track. Um, but yeah, we're getting a little bit longer in this one. Um, did you, did you, did you have any, um, what I wanted to frame, I guess, to you before we started this is like, is, is there any albums that you would have gone back in time with like the taste that you have now, uh, and kind of, I don't know, complete your collection in the right way, (laughs) um, as it came out. Uh, if we're going just off nineties, this list of albums. Yeah. I mean, I, I bought empire by queensreich in like 2007 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I would absolutely buy um, Empire. I mean, as a mode fan, I of course would buy Violator. I would listen to it and then just put it to the side. Yeah. <clears throat> because just yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd buy. I'd get the Bad Seeds album. Um, That's cool. Yeah, those are really. Um, I'd probably actually pick up that Ride album. I got into them much later mm-hmm. through um, My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, I saw that on there, and I I I put them on because they're huge. Like Pit, Pitchfork loves them. It's like yes. nine point five out of ten stars on there, you know. And and what I found is that they they really just love everything shoegaze. <laughs> yeah, and like yeah, I like they're, a lot they're of, like a big I like a yeah, lot they're of big, like shoegaze like um I don't know like reviewers and stuff, but yeah, that's that's kind of the only couple I would grab. Yeah. Because like Cocteau, uh, Cocteau Twins or whatever, they released another huge one that year. Yeah, um, Heaven, La- Heaven, Heaven Las Vegas, but she has like such specific sounding. I, I just like you either get it or you're just not into it. Oh, I love Elizabeth Frazier, but yeah, I'm not huge into the Heaven or Las Vegas. I kind of more enjoy her stuff with this Mortal Coil. Yeah, um, and some of the other things she did. True. Yeah, with my um, my tastes like kind of jumped around. I mean, after Nine Snails released, I mean, I, I forget we forgot to talk about how you know Nine Snails the head like a hole in sin singles released that that year, um, and then Pig Face was like a side project that also incorporated Trent Reznor's um, vocals for for their version of Suck, which was later used in on Broken. Um. But yeah, that was like the big, I don't know, like big thing that happened that year for our taste. Marilyn Manson also released some demos that released on cassette. So <laughs> at the time we were into them and, you know, spooky it was kids. sort of something that, yeah, the spooky kids, they they kind of, that's where they were at, you know, in their formation. So, um, but I was, I, I got much <clears> more into like industrial and loud, you know, noise rock and stuff like that. But if I could have, I would have picked up probably Changes Bowie um, by David Bowie that year. And also like Me Beat Manifesto released at 99%. It's like sort of like a techno-y, um, I don't know, like kind of breakbeat sort of style album. And then um, I, I don't know how to say it, Revolting Seas <laughs> for your <laughs> steers the, and queers. The RCs. <laughs> Yeah, the RCs. <laughs> um, that was a, another notable, you know, industrial album slash, you know, like rock or however you want to say it, like whatever mid middle kind of industrial rock that was going on at the time. And a huge industrial um, group for me was Frontline Assembly. If you if you listen to them, they're just so 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 packed with like sonic uh, changes in the way that the you know electronics and stuff are being played and the way that each song sounds it, it, they also sort of sound similar but that was an important album at the time Costa grip was so they definitely you know put out some interesting albums that year and of course jane's addiction i'd probably pick that up too now that i know like they're you know a little bit more risky and crazy alternative rock that would be a possibility for me but i'm not a huge jane's fan yeah, I mean, at the time, his, his voice was kind of jarring, you know. Here we go. You're like, oh, See, that's one of the songs. That's one of the songs I like. It's like that. Oh, yeah, that yeah. And like mountain song. 
And I don't know on that. I think we're we kind of covered all we can really think of. I think on on the nineties. Yeah, I think. I mean, other than My- Michael Bolton, kind of. You know, <laughs> I think <laughs> winning I, over all the mothers out there. <laughs> I think ninety one is. I think ninety one, ninety two are going to be pretty big. Ninety four is going to be giant. Yeah, ninety four is nuts. Yeah, ninety four is going to get real crazy. But yeah, this just seems like such an in between kind of year for releases. Yeah. I think for the next time I'll I'll probably have like more of the um artists of the same type like be closer together in my listing cuz I sort of just grabbed them as I found them on my hard drive and stuff and just just try to throw, you know, ideas out there of what came out that year. Things to think about for number uh number 2 in our, <laughs> our continuing series. Yeah, continuing series of the uh the music reviewing of that year, so uh, anything to add about uh, where you can find us? Or well, yes, we same spots, right? We got this, all the same spots. I'll put them in the show notes. And also, now we have a Facebook group. Oh yeah, that's which right. is like facebook.com slash for like boys in the nineties. Or you can find it through the page on Facebook, or do a Facebook search for boys in the nineties group. So come along and join and rehash all your favorite old memories and stuff. Thanks to Dinosaur Dracula, we get a lot of posts we can talk about yeah definitely he's uh his blog has been going on for far longer than ours and and we i mean if you even want to call ours a blog we're just sort of reminiscing on what we remember yeah no he's he's kind of the king of this yeah he he unearthed some uh he definitely what's the what's the term like he unearthed some memories Uh (laughs) or he uh, um and it's always uh, i always forget to to mention in in the show notes and stuff that it's always boys with a z and then i always remember the apostrophe on 90s because yes. like on uh, on Spotify, for some reason, if you just put in '90s without the apostrophe, it just like doesn't find us. So oh. maybe it's usually like I, a, I get I get, to... I get boys with a Z, and that usually narrows it down kind of quick. Yeah, true. Cool. All right, so we've been the boys in the '90s. My name is Nathan, and I'm Bob, and I'm standing next to Nate in silent lucidity. <laughs> <laughs>